Thank you for listening to the Calgary Business Podcast. As host, I have had the privilege of meeting a number of individuals that have shared fascinating stories from their experiences in the pre-COVID, COVID, and now in the expanded COVID period. Out of 220 podcasts to date, many of my guests have highlighted their commitment to help a variety of charitable and social impact agencies. Examples of two such organizations that have recently stood out to me include, first, the In From The Cold charity that Abir and Aya Al-Qadri from A to Z Liquidation support. They were my guests on episode 220. Second, the Brown Bagging for Calgary's Kids is just one charity that Matthew Andrade and his family business, Gentleman Rogue, are supporting. Matthew was my guest on episode 200. Take the time to consider donating to either one or both of these organizations. Brown Bagging for Calgary Kids can be found at bbck4.org and In From The Cold has a unique website, onesmallgift.ca. Once again, thanks for listening to the Calgary Business Podcast. Have a great day and stay safe. Welcome to Calgary Business Podcast. Thanks so much, Alan. This is Trina. This is episode number 213 or 213. Um, the, and I have on the line or remotely, you've connected from Vancouver, right? Is that right? Uh, actually, no. I live in an area of BC called the Sunshine Coast in a little community of 3,000 people called Roberts Creek. Nice. So our, our um, page two office is in Vancouver, but of course, we're all working remotely right now, and that's where I live. Right. Well, I want to, you know, I want to give you the, uh, I don't know what you call it, the pulpit or give you the, uh, let you tell us a little bit about page two and, and then we can go from there. Sure. That sounds great. Yeah. Well, so I'm the co-founder of a book publishing company with my partner, Jesse Finkelstein, and the company is called page two. And we're a company that specializes in publishing books by thought leaders and experts who want to bring their message to a very wide global audience. Right. Um, So we've worked with people like sales trainer Phil Jones, who has sold about 750,000 copies of of a little book called Exactly What to Say. Um, we published a book called 21 Things You May Not Know About the Indian Act by yeah. a really amazing Indigenous cultural sensitivity trainer named Bob Joseph that was on the Globe and Mail bestseller list for months and months and still resurfaces there uh, regularly. That's um, kind of a relevant, yeah. I mean, just to stop to cut you off, mm-hmm. but that's a, like, I, literally, I come, I come back to Canada last year and Indigenous sort of is real prevalent, the topic. And so that's very real, whether it's polit- political or just everyday life, Indian Act. I mean, it's I, I, mm-hmm. hats off to your, I mean, you guys getting involved in that because I, I saw that and it's a great, you brought it up. That's terrific. Yeah, well, I mean, that that was a thing. Thanks, Ellen. I mean, reconciliation with Indigenous yeah. people is such an important topic. And Bob is really quite a, he, you know, he's just so wise and informed and knowledgeable and thoughtful about what that actually means and how people can put that into practice in their everyday lives. And uh, so we were really quite honored to publish that book with him. Yeah, and I saw, I mean, you go to your website and you scroll down a little bit and that came up, that book came up. And so, you know, and then on your Instagram page, 
they, it kind of, I mean, your Instagram pages, I mean, the pictures, the pictures say a thousand words and it's really only four words you have on each page. It's great. It's brilliant. Oh, thanks so much. I'll, I'll pass that along to our team. But that's, I mean, that's it. Cause you're showing the book. That's all you show. And it gets, it gets my attention. If I look, it's a quick, it's not like a, a cluttered page. It's here's your author. And you should know, and you do know that two of your authors have been on my podcast. So mm -hmm. we, can mention, we can shout out to them in a second. But so that you, you and Jesse, now you do go back, back and I, I cheated, but I'll let you tell the story. You, you've known each other for a while. Yeah, we've known each other for about 10 years now. So we, we launched page two seven yeah. years ago. Um, but we had been working together for a few years before that at a different publishing company called right. Douglas and McIntyre and, okay. and Greystone Books. And that's where we met. Um, we were colleagues at this other traditional publishing company. And um, we just, you know, really, really respected each other and really sure. enjoyed each other. And um, in the end, decided to launch a business together that ultimately became page two. But you, I mean, I look at your profile, you bleed, for me, you bleed publishing because you got a degree or a master's from SFU, right? Yeah, yeah, both Jesse and I, and actually some other members of our team yeah. have master of publishing degrees from Simon Fraser University in Vancouver. And uh, I think that that's a sign of how seriously we take our industry. Um, no, but you you're know, yeah. rare, I'm, I'm going to say you're a rare breed and particularly a rare breed on the Calgary podcast, because a lot of my guests have pivoted geologists now doing tech tech work or, you know, seismic people people in the oil and gas are now doing uh the running their own restaurant or you know oh, cooking yeah. them you know so you guys are i don't mean a rare breed but you are definitely unique in that you've you've weathered the storms of change right you've seen a ton of change in your industry oh yeah i mean the publishing industry has changed dramatically over the last I mean, I mean, really, I would say, you know, the last few decades, um, yeah. you know, it started to change a lot when big, big box stores came into being and um, like Indigo and Chapters at the time and yeah. Barnes and Noble. Um, and then, of course, with the rise of ebooks and uh, and a lot of other digital innovations um, like print on demand Alexis, publishing. We won't name Alexa's dad, but, you know, he's had a big play in that. Right. <laughs> Alexa, I mean, Amazon. Right, right. Amazon. Yeah, exactly. Amazon, the rise of Amazon. So yeah, the, the industry has seen a lot of change. Um, but you, you're right. I mean, Jesse and I are people who really, um, almost as soon as we realized that you could have a job in book publishing, that's where, yeah. that's where we went. Um, it's not that we've, you know, we've come from other industries. This has been our longtime passion. And but the, yeah. you know, so you could you I mean, if I take your time of study, the mm -hmm. Amazonese of, you know, Amazon was just getting started. But, you know, Apple wasn't out with the iPhone wasn't even out yet. And so that early you were kind of that early digital books, kind of books online. But that wasn't really digital yet, was it? At that time. Yeah, well, it, you know, actually, Jesse's Jesse's job a decade ago at Douglas and McIntyre, um, she was the head of digital publishing. I don't remember the exact title, but the head of sure. digital publishing at Douglas and McIntyre, and part of her job was to build the ebook program for DNM. Um, wow. because that's what publishers were doing back then. The eBooks were just coming into being and and sure. um, exploding, and so. 
she had to figure out a way to um, incorporate ebook production and design into the company's workflow, and then also to establish agreements with ebook vendors like Apple and Kobo and um, Kindle, so that the, the the books were available online. And now, yeah. now of course, every publisher, at least in North America, um, publishes ebooks simultaneously with their print edition, and. Uh, you know, don't don't need to give it much thought. It's just we've all come through those times and figured out how to incorporate it into the work that we're doing. And it's just now seen as just another format alongside the print book. I mean, my, you know, I'm just listening to you speak and I'm thinking it's just like this. You know, I'm, I've come from the pre-internet and pre-everything. So you and you have maybe I'm a little older than you, but it's that luxury. I, I remember going to the Strand in London. Mm -hmm. And there's little bookstores and there's that, you, you talk about big box and there was a couple of big ones, but there was a little one. And we said, we just wanted a book on England, the history of England. And the guy goes, which era? So yeah. he goes, you know, and you're like, well, I don't know, kind of last couple hundred years. Well, here's from 1500 to 1600. Here's from 1650 to, you know, it was literally in lots of 50, you know, generational. And I'm like, wow. And here you have it in one store, you know, you, you now have it at your fingertips. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the the phrase that Amazon had been using, right? Is the everything store, and there's yeah. there's a book about Amazon called the Everything Store, um, and that <laughs> that is, you know, it yes, it's convenient to be able to buy from a company that has absolutely everything you could imagine, but at the same time. I personally feel that, um, you know, I buy my books here in a little town called Seashelt at my little local bookstore called Taylor right. Books because um, I want to support them. For, you know, A, I want to support them because I think that we <laughs> right. need diversity of bookstores to have a healthy ecosystem. And also because she makes recommendations per, you know, she knows the kind of books that I order and she can make personalized recommendations that are a lot better than what you can typically get from an algorithm. So, you know, I, I do think there is something, there is something special and magical about a good bookstore that, um, that, that, that you can't really beat. You know, what a wonderful, I mean, just obviously that Meg Ryan movie with, you know, called she's got mail, you've got mail. That kind of that that's just a, hits a chord of in that time when you're saying big box stores came in, but more recently there was a movie on Netflix, and I, you probably know it better than I do. But it was the some kind of pot pie society during World War II. I don't know if you you know that movie. I haven't. I know. I don't know it. Okay, so they were this. They were a, a group of re, you know they were reading. They pretended because they weren't supposed to gather during. It was on the one island in, I think, Isle of Wight. Oh, yes. Okay, yes, I, I do. I haven't watched this, but yes. Mm -hmm. And so, and it, but it's literally, that's just, a, it's a book, book reading. Yeah. And you talk about, you know, like Oprah's been famous for a, a long time. Yeah. And it's still, I think it's, it's she's, that book club has passed the, te the, the test of time to have book club reading the physical book, mm -hmm. not, you know, not the digital reader, or the audio, but it's the ditch that to but your point is they're recommending scripted like real books. So sorry. Well, I, yes I, and I, yes and no. I mean, if somebody recommends a book, they're yeah. typically recommending just that you read, you know, read or listen. The title. They're not saying how you Yeah, it doesn't really and in my mind it doesn't really matter how you read it if it's, you know, as long as you're accessing that material. 
But do you have do you have a book club in your community? You said three thousand. Is there a book club in your community? Oh yeah, there there are local book clubs um, for sure, and I I belong to one. I joined one when I first moved here, but it kind of petered yeah. petered out. Um, <laughs> you know, I think there are book clubs in most communities, but a lot of them are private rather than you know, and so you get invited to them through a friend or a friend of a friend. Um, right. Some libraries and and other organizations do host book clubs as well. No, I look at my daughter. She's twenty two, and she'll take the book and just sit with it with you know the the printed book. Whereas I'm the I I don't know I'm the older one. I'll take all, any form, but I you know I guess it's a distraction because there's so much available to people to read. But yeah. so let, let's let's go back. So when you came together, were you? It was kind of you know the two of you came together. Jesse had done digital and you were kind of the old school or what what brought you two together? So much that I was old school. um, I just had a very different job than she did. Um, So I used to be an editor. I started at a a company in Toronto called McClellan and Stewart. um, And then I moved back to BC where I'm from and I got a job at Douglas McIntyre as a nonfiction editor um, and then an, an acquisitions editor, which is the person who reads submissions from literary agents and authors and um, decides which books they want to acquire for the company's right. list. And then and then when you acquire them, you actually work with the author to shape the, the manuscript into the best that it can be. Um, so that was my job. And then eventually I was made publisher of that company and Jesse was made chief operating officer. Oh, okay. So you were working together. Then. Yeah, we were. Oh, yeah. We, I mean, we were colleagues the entire time. But book publishing is, is an extremely collaborative undertaking. So it takes, you know, it takes many people to produce one book. And uh, so we worked very closely together side by side in different roles. Sure. So let's, because let's, because you said something earlier about the, you know, again the the algorithm, instead of somebody's picking a book for you. But now you, let's just think the uptake if if fifteen thousand or five thousand or two, I mean you can only handle so much volume, and what you see where there's a lot of subjectivity involved. How do you, you know, what is that the wheat to the chaff? How do you filter that? Yeah, it's it's a great question. I mean, it starts by being really clear on what your editorial mandate is. And so just as an example, at page two, um, our company, we specialize in books by nonfiction books, um, so no, no right. novels, um, by leading experts in their field who are writing books that really push the boundaries of their fields in some way. Um, right. And a lot, of, a lot right. of them are writing on business topics, so business and leadership, personal finance, um, right. and, uh, but also a lot of self-help and personal growth. Um, and so it, it just starts by being very clear on what it is that you're looking for in the first place. And, um, and then from there, you know, you're usually looking for, you're looking for a new idea that hasn't been, uh, that can find a, a home in the market, right? There, it's, there's right. so much competition for books and for people's, uh, people's attention, right? From, and po- right. of course, podcasts and newspapers and magazines and blogs and everything. Um, I'm going to do a bo- I'm going to do a book on podcasting about podcasting. No, I, yeah. like, but I mean, there's so much material. Mm-hmm. I hear you. So 
I guess that subjectivity is, is removed a little bit because if you're doing a novel and well, sorry, Mary or Jim, you, you know, we don't, <laughs> there's a lot of books on this kind of fiction, whereas yours is, you really can be subject, like you can look at their history of who they are as an, as an author do they have the credibility to be writing such? I mean, just in general, yeah, quicker yeah. You're you're definitely looking to you want to make sure we want to make sure that they're credible experts in their field, right? Um, you know that the idea is something new that we can think will find an audience. Um, we also because our publishing company it it's a it's not the traditional model that Jesse and I used to work under at Douglas and McIntyre. It's a very right. um, very author-centered and service-driven model. And so we're also looking for, you know, what are looking at what the author's goals are for the book and do we feel that we can help them meet those goals? So that that's part of our conversation as well and a significant part of the conversation because a lot of them, a lot of our authors, they're publishing books that they are um, building into their business very in a very direct way so so Bob right. coming back to Bob Joseph he's a good example of this um he, he you know he he runs a training and consulting business and so the book is something that he has been able to incorporate into some of his speaking and his training work and um and then he has been you know he incorporated it into his newsletter and his blog and the various other things that he does as part of right, his company. So it's not just an off it's not just a book on by the way and then everything you go by it's it's really embedded yeah. part of his fabric his or his or her depending on who yeah. you're yeah, that's that's exactly right, and th and that's the case for the the two Calgary-based authors that that we published that you worked with, Tom Warren, um, who wrote right. your best work, and Michelle Cedarberg, who wrote the Success Energy Equation. Those are expressions of their ideas and their intellectual property that they're also that they also um, share through consulting and speaking and um, teaching and various other things. And so the book just becomes part of a larger offering for them. So we, we're always looking at that larger business ecosystem and how the book will support right. it. That's interesting to say that because I did, I looked at Tom because I, I couldn't, I, I looked further and you, and he did say it during our podcast, which was, and I'll just give you the number, episode 128. Mm -hmm. And and so Tom, and I looked through in his newsletters, Instagram, it is, it's in his fabric. I like that word. It's really threaded mm -hmm. through everything yeah. he does. He does speeches and his, his sort of social media presence, the physical world, digital world. Yeah, it, I, I, I hear you. That, I think that makes a lot mm -hmm. of sense. So you're, the genre that you chose that, I say genre, maybe topical, the nonfiction, was that something when you and Jesse got together and you said, this is where we're going to go. It is. Yeah, we made that decision before we even launched page two. Um, we we identified the kind of author we wanted to work with. And they were entrepreneurial. Yeah. Um, you know, they were leading experts. And they were people who were writing a book on whatever it is that they do for, for a work and for work as professionals. Um, so we yeah. did identify that very early on. Um, we also felt that those were the people that would most benefit from the kind of business model that we were creating, which is one where um, the author has a, a lot of creative 
freedom. In fact, really total creative control over the ultimate book that we create together, and um, which yeah. is important to them because it is an expression of their brand and their intellectual property, right? And a reflection of their business. Um, and also one in which they they retain ownership of their of their rights to the work. So they actually own everything that we create and and that frees them up to to um you know to to build it into their business in creative ways too. So if if one of our authors wants to take big sections of the book and you know parse it out into online training modules for instance there there are no right. restrictions at as there are yes. in most publishing models. Yeah. Oh, well, that's it. Cause so, so this, this is where your experience, your, your, your joint experience comes in. Maybe some of your other staffers that just know that the old model. And I've heard this in, you know, this is typical in the media, for instance, or marketing or, you know, these big PR companies, you're, you're taking it. I love that. Cause you're taking your old experience. Say, we want to do this. Book. Yeah, that was it. So, it was, let's not throw out everything from traditional publishing, but let's take, let's take the best of that world and just that come up with a new model that we think can serve entrepreneurial authors better. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I use the word old school and I mean, you know, there, there's a printed model, but I don't, I mean, I don't have a history at all in that publishing side, which you do. I did. I never would have thought about pulling out a chapter and using this as, that was so that was just so restrictive or is still restricted in some of the Yeah. Models. I mean, when you, when you work with a, a, a traditional publisher, um, they yeah. license the rights to the work and they own those rights for the, uh, the for the yeah. full term of copyright, which is like 50, 50 years, basically. Um, and so they they own that material for a long time. And the author contract yeah. has definitely has restrictions about what you can do with the book content. So, for instance, it, it's very typical for those contracts to say that you can only put excerpts of, you know, X words out uh, on your website. Yeah. That's yeah. very restrictive. That is, so that, I mean, this, I have a lot of questions, but I want to, I really want to go back to this start when you're not you two, but the start of the book, is it, is it the author reaches you or you reach them or sort of the, you know, how, how do they come together? And your typical Yeah. Example. Well, in a, a typical example, um, most most of our authors come to us by referral and word of mouth. So typically yeah. they've spoken with another one of our authors b before and um, heard that that author had a really great experience with us and then they come recommended. Right. And, and then um, Jesse or I have a phone call with them to talk through what the book is and who they see the target audience being and what their goals are for it. And, and we try to determine if we're a fit for them or not. Mm -hmm. Right. So, the, but, so <clears throat> for you, they haven't even written a page yet. And they, it's not like a, here's my, here's my manuscript and you got to slog through chapter after chapter. It's like, it's the, you read the beginning. The plan yeah. Well, actually, I mean, people, people join us at, all different stages. So sometimes they do yeah. just have an idea. They have a big idea. Often it's something that they've been blogging about or, you know, they, sure. they've been doing keynotes on or whatever that might be. Um, or sometimes they have already thought about what the book might be and, and even started to write the manuscript 
or they've finished writing a manuscript. So really they come to us at all different stages and our job okay. is to okay. help them make the make the manuscript even better and 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 shape it for the market. So we our our job is to make it as commercially successful as possible while staying true to their yeah. goals and their, you know, and their ideas and their voice. Um, and then and then we see the book all the way through production. You know, we edit it and we design, um, we design it and we distribute it around the world and sell it and market it and all of all of the things that you would expect might go into bringing a, a product to market. Well, so I look at okay. So I had an exchange on Instagram with one of your one of your authors coming up, Jeffrey. Oh, great, Jeffrey. yeah. And so it was just. He, he wrote mm -hmm. on self-employment and one of my recent, uh, he write, he's going to be writing on self-employment and one of my recent podcasts was with a, the Myers Norris Penny people here in, in Calgary and they do a self-employment program. I said, oh, I think you two, you guys should get together. Um, and it wasn't that, but it's like his book is going to be, oh, May, mm -hmm. it says right here, May 2021. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, that's six months out, more than mm -hmm. six. So what, is that that whole period now where you're going back and forth or you're still framing I mean, this is six months out, so you've got a lot of time, but to me... My you know, it sounds like a lot of time, Alan, but you wouldn't believe what has to go yeah. into producing a book and then launching it. So um, it's the whole process from the time somebody has a finished manuscript to the time it's actually available for people to buy in a store or on Amazon or wherever is usually about sure. a year. Sure. And it's just that they're wow. in order to publish a book professionally, there are many, many layers of editing that go into it. You know, we do really about seven rounds of editing before the book is complete. Um, a different different types of editing. There's you know all kinds of design work that happens, and and of course you know get, getting endorsements and planning marketing plans and all of that just does take time, and and we have to work back from the buying schedules of the bookstores as well. So um, basically, at this point, our entire list of books that are releasing in spring of 2021 have already been sold to bookstores. So those bookstores have already decided for the most part, which ones they're going to be taking on. So we have to... So you're talking to print it, the print. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we're working back from that. And, and I... I get you on that part of the editing because I mean, I'm just going to give you a real quick example. Way back in my past life as an audit partner, we went to a, an IPO, so Document London, and we were at the printers and they're called Bound Publishing in London and or Bow and Bone or whatever it was. But literally over a weekend, every time that, you know, the IPO document got marked up or changed, they, they you know, they, they, the lawyers took it and, and, and turned it around. It was after four or five days, 30,000 pounds. I mean, that's like 60 Canadian, 60,000 pounds for it's an IPO document. It's about wow, 200 pages, yeah. but that's, you know, you, you got an yes. army of lawyers yeah. accountants looking at it. But that was just, and that was the end. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's a big document. And, and you know, yeah. really, the, a book is different from other media because, um, I mean, obviously, every media has its own own strengths and characteristics but the the whole idea yeah. of a book really rather than a blog post or a, a newspaper article or many other forms is that it's meant to be um 
it's meant to allow the author to express their idea at length and it's meant to be a fairly yeah. permanent object, right? It's it's not something that you're going to toss in the recycling bin after a month. It's going to sit on your shelf for years to come. And so it, it's got a shelf. Life. Yeah. And so yeah. in order to make a book that's going to have that shelf life, it just, it just takes time. It's not a process that, you know, that you want to rush. Oh, no. I mean, just even just the pure making sure the articles are there and, and each, there's that book called each, I don't know if you ever heard of yeah. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's where you right. put the grammar, the comma, and, and, but literally you've got that. So that's that pure editing, just the reading. But what, how does tech come involved? Do you run it through your automation and someone and, and screens through and says, okay, this is the Englishes or the grammar or whatever, grammarly type of a thing. Do you have that sweep on that? No, our process, our editing is very much done by, you know, extremely skillful and experienced humans. Um, I know there are companies by humans, humans? by the actual humans, humans in our office or at home <laughs> these days. I mean, there. I know there are companies yeah. that try to automate as much of the process as they can, but I really strongly believe that in order to get the best possible book, you need highly qualified and experienced humans to do that work. And a spell check is just not a replacement for a really experienced proofreader. So we, we don't do that. Well, I, I proofread, proofread, proofread a ton of, uh, you know, some financial statements. You know, note 13 doesn't tie with note two, but that you, I, I think what you just said is it comes from that reading the whole thing in entirety or a chapter, which is related. It, That's you right. Connect. You're not going to see that whether it's a machine or if you say, all right, you do page two to 17 and I'll do 17 to 29. You're not going to connect. Them. Yeah, no, that's right. They won't. And, you know, it, it's interesting. So you're you're asking about um, proofreading and, and copy editing. And yeah. really, when people most people think about editing, I think that's exactly what they think of. But before we even get to that point, we do very rigorous um very big picture editing that we call substantive editing, which is where we're actually engaging yeah. with the author's ideas and saying things like, you know, I think you could use an example here, or what do you mean by this? Or I don't think you need chapter five, or, you know, how about moving the conclusion to the introduction, you know, that, and, and if that kind of editing <laughs> is done I well the reader oh. the reader doesn't have a clue yeah. you would never know because the editors done their nope. job well but you might notice if there's a typo or a missing period somewhere on page you know 232 that that's that's the very last stage of editing there's a lot more that happens before we get there sure but that, let's there's a point and, and i'm going to use that word pride of authorship you can mm -hmm. use that word for reason if you have a finished manuscript and you're starting, this is the first relationship, first time you meet, let's just say it's Tom Moran, and you meet for the first time, that author is going to be most, I don't know, most author, but a lot of people have that pride of authorship. How do you deal with that? Because that's going to be, you know, this, I'm, you know, the ego is going to Oh, be yeah, that's interesting. Um, no, it's not something that we see very often, to be honest, um, because we're we're not trying to, we're not trying to change the author's ideas or their words or their voice. We're, we're working yeah. with what they have put down and making it better. So most, most authors are quite happy and excited to go through the editorial process because it makes their work better. 
Nice. Right. We're not trying to yeah. stamp them out in any way. That's actually the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, no. I just your your point is well taken, but I think some people are so enamored mm-hmm. by what they've written that they're like, no, no, I want to keep that. And I don't have an example. I think it's more from the financial statement side. I'm taking it from a cat, you know, that 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 technical accounting side where people are like, no, I wrote that note, it works perfectly, yeah. or the client, right? That's the client. No, 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 we want that note. But I think the thing is that I think our our authors are professionals. Like they are all professionals. They're business people. They're entrepreneurs. And they they understand that they're hiring us because they don't have the the experience and the, the skills to do what needs to be done to make the book really great. Just as you would hire a lawyer to read your IPO um, documents, you, you know, you're going to <laughs> respect that lawyer's expertise and, and acknowledge it. And um, that I would I say that that's sure. equivalent to how our authors typically engage with us. So it you know, come to mind, you said, and I, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to put out that it took mm-hmm. so long. I understand that process. But I want to, you know, there's a date, there was Someone did it a few years ago, and one of the main authors, I, I can't remember who it was, but he, they were publishing mm-hmm. one chapter at a time and getting the read. But those are, those are well, and I think that was the, one of the, you know, Tom, either Stephen King or one of the, you know, they're mm-hmm. top authors. They got the brand. I don't think that's going to work if you don't have a brand, is you're going to release it to yeah. a none. Yeah, that, you know, it's interesting when, when publishing embraced all things digital and it became possible to quickly release books, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, yeah. there was a lot of talk about serialization, which is what, what we would call that, you know, you're releasing content in a serial way. And really, you know, in, in a way, right. it really wasn't that innovative because that's how... Charles Dickens used to be published. That's how that's how a lot of people, you know, in Victorian days, for instance, used to be published Brilliant. because their chapters would come out in broadsheet yeah. newspapers um, first. And and so right. it wasn't so much a new idea. It's just that it came out. They came. They were. They came out digitally um, rather than you know on printed papers. But it. But printed, I would print- say that. People, uh, you don't see that kind of experimentation so much anymore with serialization. It's just, if people get hooked on a, a, on a book, they want to be able to go to chapter two and not yep. wait till the following week. And it's that convenience that people really want and expect in a digital environment. And so it, it, in general, I would say serialization just doesn't really, really work. That's incredible. I never, you know, I like you, the way you've likened it to Charles Dickens, because that goes back to an era when the writers were writers, mm-hmm. readers were readers, right? And there was, there was no distinction. And that brings me to a podcast I listened to not too long ago. I could send you the link. I think it was Andreessen Horowitz, but they were talking writers write, readers read. And the guy said, I read probably 200, whatever it was per week or per day, like a massive number. And he's an, I don't know if he's an editor or not, but it's like, when you first early said that, you said, we look at a lot of, you know, scripts or the, the headliners, whatever it is that mm-hmm. you, whatever gets your attention. And this guy's reading, he's pushing it through. And there's, it's just, it's incredible. Like that, that lost era of where people just read for the sake of reading. Mm-hmm. And writers read, writers yeah. So. And, you know, I think, I think people are still reading as much as ever. Um, that that's what the studies show. 
but their attention is just yeah. that reading time is more divided, right? It includes in, news on the internet and, um, you know, sure. other things as well. When you shut up, you can shut off and curl up to like the guy on the podcast this morning, I think with CBC says, I'm just curled up on my, you know, here with a, you know, you kind of vision that he's on a blanket, but he's on the podcast. And it's sort of that creating that vision of I'm just curled mm-hmm. up on my blanket with a book, a good book. And you're right. The attention, people's attention. So mm-hmm. let's talk about that because social media, how do you get, because if your books are already pre-sold, is that on reputation or are there new books? You know, how do you get attention of those uh, bookstores to get it? Yeah, well, it's, it's, um, that is all about, we have a sales team. We have a sales team of 50 people and we okay. are arm them with all kinds wow. of materials that they need to go out and pitch the books effectively. So they get, you know, sample chapters, yeah. they get covers and interior samples from the book many, many months before the book is even released. Um, and then we, we develop all kinds of selling points and marketing points and things that they can use in those sales conversations. So there's the, there's the B2B marketing that we do. And then when the book actually launches, there's the B2C marketing where, you know, we, we and our authors, especially because they're the ones who already have a built-in following around their topic, um, are out promoting the book on right. social media and in their email newsletters and in podcast interviews and, um, you know, everywhere they can, everywhere they can <laughs> shout out news about the book, basically. Well, that's interesting because the, the typical book signing, I know, I don't know if Michelle was going to do a book signing or she, she, Michelle Cedarberg, she mentioned that episode number 191. Uh, she mentioned that, um, you know, the book signing had to yeah. because of COVID. Is that, what did you, so on that note, when you went from book signings, physical book signings, you went to virtual book signings? Well, a lot of people, so a lot of our authors are professional speakers or training trainers. And so they, with the idea of a book signing for our authors isn't so much about, you know, going to the local bookstore and doing a, inviting the public in and doing a signing. They're (laughs) often, they're, um, they're doing events, private events with corporations and organizations. Um, and sure. so the book signing might happen after that event. Now, they've pivoted, um, obviously, during COVID to virtual events. So what that looks like now, we, we don't, I would say we haven't really come up with quite an, an analogous way to do a book signing. But we have had authors, um, we've yeah. created book plates for authors, which is like little sticker um, designed kind of stickers that they can sign and then mail out to an organization to stick in the front of their books. So it's as though the book has been signed in person by the author, but you know, they've done it in advance. So that's one of the things that we've done this year to, to accommodate for the switch to virtual events. I like that because the sticker would leave, you know, in terms of if the book, the author's got a signia or you've got page two, you get that sticker with the author. Yeah, we, we also have an author named Cody Shuin in Toronto who wrote a book called Everyday Legacy, and he's been signing books um, just at home and then shipping them off to his corporate clients. So, yeah, so, we're, you know, everybody's sure. trying to be a bit creative to give people that personal touch. 
But I just like it just had this vision of you know that you, you see some movies where the the guy's stuck by the toy, the washroom or the kitchen, and they're doing a book signing, and then you know, and it's literally that image, and that, that could be the page two thing if you ever wanted to get creative. Would say, you know, having trouble finding your book signing, you know, and the guy sitting by the toilet, or I don't know, it's it's a little bit of a, a poke at the traditional way, but reality is maybe it's now you're on mute. We're trying to have a publish. We're trying to do this on Zoom, the book signing. You're on mute. Oh, I've already signed 20 books and they're all on mute. I don't know. You can, yeah. you know, can play, poke fun at that. But that's, that's, yeah, that's a little more, yeah. that's a little more uh, Zoomy type. But long haul. So what, what's the future then, uh, you know, Trina? What did you, what are you, your futuristic view, if you and, and uh, Jesse get together? What are you seeing trends that are happening? Yeah, well, I mean, where we're going right now is um, we're we're developing our audiobook uh, program. So audiobooks are you yeah. know massively on the on the rise and have increased dramatically even through COVID as people are at home and on screens and you know doing other things around the house. It's an yes. easy thing to listen to, just as a podcast is. So um, our future includes increased emphasis on audiobooks. And um, we we have been using a third party in the past to produce them, but we're bringing that in house so that we can really build the audiobook into the rest of our editorial and production work alongside eBooks and print books. Um, we also have just hired three new marketing team members at page two. And so um, for us, 2021 yes. in particular is a year of um, ramping up new marketing services and being able to dig deeper into marketing with our authors. Um, and so, yeah, th those are some of the main things that we're focused on right now. You know, I have to tell you, so my experience back in May, I started with the ACX and mm -hmm. the audio, yeah. audible books. It's Amazon. It's the Amazon. It's the platform. And I tend, not, not, this isn't self-promotion, but what I noticed is more than half of my books were rejected, that, that I got, I, I signed a contract to audit, to narrate, because the other half didn't have the rights to be publishing that book because of the digital, they just, they just throw on a PDF and, and then up, they upload it onto ACX. I mean, I literally have said I've hundreds of emails, hundreds, I have a lot of emails, that quality. So you've got your own database of authors, but they're just really, and you can, you, you have a very controlled group, but I'm like, wow, mm -hmm. this is wide open and the quality. So that's the one. The second one was translation from another language into English. My gosh, some of the things I was reading, I didn't realize, you know, it was just so poorly read in English and, and it was a financial book or whatever. So that was. Those two main things, like the author didn't have the rights or the, you know, the right to uh, contract oh, and the quality yeah. mm -hmm. was so low on some of those. I mean, that's, yeah, I just want to share that with you because this is, that's a trend. Well, I, it's I like, I mean, it's, it's the thing. same thing that happened when um, Amazon opened up KDP. So that's the, that's its self, self-publishing division, basically, that allows people to to distribute right. an ebook or a print book on Amazon. And so what happened okay. was um, there was just this outpouring of, in many cases, really crummy work, right? <laughs> like a lot of, if anyone can make a yes. book available, 
well, then of course, inevitably, there's going to be a lot of a lot of stuff that really doesn't need to be made public. And so that's where, you know, a company like Page Two, um, we're all about quality and ensuring excellence, and um, you know, and helping people stand out because there is a lot of noise. And so I think the same thing is happening now with audiobooks for sure. Well, I guess it's, it, once that, that period, they, they get controls and they learn and you can learn from that as well. And you can also, again, back to the broadsheets. I love that, that, you know, that going back to those, how do they do it? How do they deal with it then? Because it would be the similar, I guess, some authors, you know, they would just throw pieces of paper and people would be in, and they'd make its way. So, yeah, I guess it's a feeling out period on that audio side. And then you, again, you have the control mm -hmm. because you, you have the relationship with the authors and you have the content and you you have i mean it's such unique i love that where they can take you know the content is theirs but it's your yeah your, that's exactly it we're we're very much um a, a company that partners with our authors you know the whole process is about collaborating with them too on everything from the title yeah. to the price pricing decisions and cover packaging you know the the entire sure. process is about us making recommendations and doing, you know, doing our best work and then, but with the author as a partner and giving very meaningful feedback along the way. I think it's exciting. I think it's a really exciting that you're moving into the audible as well. And I share that. I mean, the podcasting forum is just one it's, it happens to be a, for mm -hmm. I believe one of many aspects of marketing and media and today's world. So, Look, how can people find you, Trina? I mean, I found you, but, or you found me and how other Yeah, I would say our website's the best place you. to go. It's just page2.com, um, P-A-G-E-T-W-O spelled out, yes. dot com. Um, we're also on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook. Um, but yeah, that's the best place to go. People can go see our books and read a bit more about how we work. So one last, the book, the local bookstore, how in your town, the 3,000 people? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know how long they've been there. Um, and they're actually in the, <laughs> the next town to me, a town called Seashell. But it's a long-standing independent bookstore. I mean, I, I have to guess at least decades. Yeah. You know, I just, because I every time we talk, every the mention, I go back. Some of those old bookstores, or you know how they have the mm -hmm. library with the ladder that goes across in those movies. It just there's that there's something about and the guy pulls the binding because he finds a book from 1865. And I love the Charles Dickens. You know, just last thing because the Charles Dickens, I don't know if it was him. He got thrown in jail and his whole family mm -hmm. went to jail. Mm -hmm. some debtors. It was a debtor. I don't know if it was him. It was either Charles or one of them at that era when he got uh, who's whose sons and daughters? Who's that? Who wrote that book for? Oh god. Anyway. Literally got right. the whole family. It was right. called debtor's prison. So the whole family went to prison. Hard times. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to, what, can you imagine, though, the author can't make his debts and, and yes. ends up in prison with the family. But at different times. So. Trina, thank you so much. And, and uh, you know, I'll, the page... I'll open up to the page uh, because that's probably where all the information is, right? Pay, well, the, uh, so our company name, yeah, the, part of our thinking on it is that if if uh, if you're on page two, you've already been hooked, and um, and so you're you know you're gathering yeah. momentum. 
Brilliant, brilliant. Well, <laughs> thanks for taking your time. I'm glad you're feeling better and stay safe on the COVID. Yeah, thank you so much, Alan. Thanks for having me today. Okay, you too. Bye. All right, Trina.